You're listening to my dad's podcast. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on ronanddonradio.com. All right, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 119 of the Ron and Don Show. And coming up, we're going to talk about Chaz. They call it the Chop. A lot going on here in Seattle when it comes to riots, demonstrations. And a lot of my family and friends have been reaching out to me all over the country. I also have a lot of friends that have gone to visit because they're very curious. And are they going as visitors? Are they going because they want to be a part of history and a part of change? Also, a little bit later, I'm going to tell you why I sleep with a teddy bear. It has everything to do with Father's Day coming up. So congratulations to all the dads out there. We're going to wish you a very happy Father's Day. Before we do that, though, let's get to this. I wrote a piece this week about the sit-ins that are happening here in Seattle, around the country, and around the world. Uh, We're also seeing demonstrations. We're also seeing riots. And it's kind of interesting because as I was just down, I was down south this morning, and I was doing a run on the Wonderland Trail around Mount Rainier. And as I was driving back, I stopped at a big super mall down there. And even down there, all the windows, lots of windows have been blown out. Uh, lots of stores in this particular mall had been looted. I went into a Starbucks. That Starbucks had been looted. All the windows had been boarded up. And I thought, wow, this is interesting because we know this is happening in Seattle on Capitol Hill. But did we know these types of things are happening an hour and a half to the south of Seattle, Washington? Right now, right now, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement, they have the world's attention like it or not they do here's my question though to you ron what's the message what do you want what do they want what do we want i'll take you back to 1955 rosa parks we know what happened december 5th she sat on a bus and the bus driver came over his name was james and james told her to move and in montgomery alabama in 1955 you have the same powers as a police officer had he could have her arrested which is exactly what he did because he wanted her to exit the bus and enter the bus at the rear so in the south in 1955 you were to step into the bus pay your fare if you're black you exit the bus you walk to the back get back in the bus and then you literally ride in the back of the bus Rosa had done that many, many times. She said, I'm not doing that again. Here's the thing, though. Rosa Parks had been doing this with this bus driver. We think it happened one time and she made history. She did this over 300 times. She had been doing it with this particular bus driver on this particular bus for well over 12 years. Here's the difference. All of a sudden, Dr. King now in 1955 is connected to this movement. And he said, you know what? Movements move. And if Rosa Parks is going to sit on this bus, what are we going to ask politicians for? What are we going to ask citizens for? What kind of laws do we want to have changed? And what kind of policy do we want to see? And the policy was this. Hey, guess what? Most of the people that ride these buses in Montgomery, Alabama, are African-Americans going to work. And what we're going to do, 40,000 of us, is we're going to get off these buses. And until we can get on the bus and sit wherever we want, we're going to walk. So for 381 days, that's what they did. They walked. And they walked. And they continue to walk. And what happened in Montgomery, Alabama? Those buses were parked. When it came to public transportation, they were brought to their knees. A year and a half later, this goes to the Supreme Court. And you know what the Supreme Court said? They said, yeah, that kind of segregation is wrong. And we're going to allow black folk and white folk to get on the same bus and sit wherever you want. They say in life, if you want to be dynamic, you have to be specific. Now let me take you 
1963. Dr. King, Selma Bridge. They'd walked across this bridge many times. He had walked across it three times himself. In fact, there were three different bridges that they walked across. Tens of thousands of people would show up to walk with Dr. King. But why were they walking? Very specifically, they wanted the right to vote. They had been given the right to vote, but now they wanted the right to vote. And we all know about gerrymandering that happens today when it comes to congressional districts. They wanted to have a say in the process and policy. And so when Dr. King walked across that Salma Bridge, 54 miles across three different bridges, at the end of that, when they faced those state troopers, that's what he talked about. Specifically, it was about voting. When Rosa sat on that bus, specifically, Ron, it was about equal access. Let me ask you this. Black Lives Matter. I hear police reform. I hear defund the police. These are big umbrella ideas. But specifically, what does the Black Lives Matter movement want? What do we want? Uh, I I hear what you're saying. And the the thing that I've been hearing from uh, black people that I listen to and that I know is that there's a weariness now in the population that feels oppressed to educate the oppressor. So the thing that I think they want is, uh, at least what I'm hearing, and if I'm interpreting this, is wake up in a sense. Like we've been carrying this mantle, and so it shouldn't be on us to be oppressed and carry all the pressures and stigma and uh, disadvantage that that means, and then also educate you. Um, it's on you to educate yourself. So I think that if I'm, I, I understand what you're saying. And I think that, that those movements that Dr. King was about and in terms of equal rights and all of the, the legislation that happened is, is something that is in the history books. This to me is very different because what we're asking for now is, um, the difference between having to and wanting to. So we, we all remember this as a child, uh, there's the famous, I think it was a cartoon that says where a parent forces his child to sit still. And the, the caption was, I'm sitting still on the outside but on the inside. I'm not, you, you, you can force me to sit still, but you're, you're not bridled my spirit. You haven't bridled my imagination. And so I, I think what this movement is about is a reckoning of saying, Virtually everybody knows the intellectual exercise. They know about equal rights. They know about the legislation. They know about Rosa Parks. They know about Martin Luther King Jr. Because now it's a holiday and they get the day off. Uh, But what they don't do and haven't done is taken it from their head to their heart. So to me, that's what this moment in history is about. Are you person in privilege, person that is white, person that's had the advantage and maybe hasn't recognized it, are you going to take it from your head knowledge to your heart knowledge? And it's not up to them to do that for us. It's up to to me and it's up to you. Are you going to go buy a book and read it? Are you going to listen to a great black thinker and reconsider your position? Are you going to read a James Baldwin book? Are you going to read a Ta-Nehisi Coates book? Are you going to listen uh, to a video? Are you going to sit down in, in silence for a while with your friends and go, Maybe I was wrong. Maybe the concepts of white privilege and work ethic are two different things. Two different things. Maybe if I'm a poor white person and I go, well, I didn't, nobody gave me a handout. Nobody, I worked hard. 
My dad was in the factory his whole life. My dad worked on the Boeing line his whole life. We, 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 nobody gave us anything. That's not the same thing. And so I think the people of color that I know and listen to and talk to are saying, I don't want to carry my burden and your burden. You, you put in some due diligence here. You put in some hard work. You put in some recognition. You put in some education. I've educated myself on your culture. Because if I didn't, I can't, I can't make my way through your culture. You put some effort into my culture for a change. And then let's see where this goes. And so that, that to me, and, and on the West Coast, I think it's a little bit of a moot point. I think the, the groundswell that we see, not a moot point. On the West Coast, there's an eagerness and I think an openness more so than the other parts of the country. So I, I think as a movement, when you look at Louisiana, and you and I have a very good friend in Louisiana that we both were talking to in separate conversations this week. Mm. We have a friend uh, that's just fed up. He's like, I just walk around in a state of permanent rage. He's African-American. I'm, I'm fearful yeah. for my children. I'm fearful for myself. I don't feel like I can walk in the streets right now and not have an incident happened. Mm. Uh, and he's like, I, I've been in a perpetual rage my entire adult life mm. because I'm as smart, as capable, as educated, as articulate, as hardworking, as capable yeah. of, of anybody I know. And I constantly, day in and day out, week in and week out, every single year, uh, I have to put up with barriers because he's black. Because he's black. Yeah, he has a college degree. I don't. Right. I got. I. I was able to be the lead host of the show, and he was a supporting host. Mm -hmm. And it's like if you look at any metric that we say we believe in in America, they didn't matter. Uh, he had the degree. I did not have the degree. He had more experience in that market than I did. Uh, he knew everybody in New Orleans. I knew nobody in New Orleans. But it was the Ron and Don show featuring Abe. It wasn't the Abe show featuring Ron and Don. And so for me to stand here and go, well, what? teach me about that, Abe. Teach me what it's like. No, dude, it's on me. Mm. I need to be the one that goes, wow, that's kind of true. And yes, I worked hard. And yes, we paid our dues. And yes, we worked ourselves up through markets. And all that stuff is true. But in that instance... Uh, I was privileged, and you were privileged. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I remember talking to Seahawk, uh, Seattle Seahawk great Steve Largent, and I lost a little respect for him in our interview because we started talking about black culture a number of years ago when we were on the Seahawk station. And Steve grew up, and his his childhood was rough. He had a very rough childhood. You're in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. And so he wrote a book about what it was like but what he did is he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. And in fact, if you read his book, it's all about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. What I tried to convince him of, and again, this is a number of years ago, that Steve, some people don't have boots or bootstraps. At least you had a pair of boots. At least those boots had some straps. At least you had something to pull on. I come from a broken home, four kids. My mother took care of us. I've shared that story before at nauseum. I don't even want to hear it again. But I had boots and bootstraps. The color of my skin gives me boots and bootstraps. And that's not necessarily true for the young man that you were just talking about that was our producer in New Orleans. That's not necessarily true for our friend Doc Wilson 
or Ed Ewing that's been on the show for us. That's not necessarily true for Trooper Washington, who we're talking about, who's an African-American cop in the middle of this right now. To be born with the color of my skin gives me boots and bootstraps. And I think a lot of times for women, minorities, marginalized populations, you look at especially women and girls around the world right now because of COVID, they say millions of them, millions of little girls will never go to school again because of COVID. Millions. They don't have boots or bootstraps. You go to Haiti, one in eight people even have a pair of shoes. If you want to get really figurative about it. You're born in the U.S., you have white skin, you got boots, you got bootstraps. You even have more than that. And, and if you came from a broken home like I did, who cares? Because you still have possibilities that other people don't have. We come back. Let's talk specifically. I have a lot of people asking me about the Chaz, the Chop. It's happening here in Capitol Hill. There's a lot of people that are just really curious about it. I've had three friends go there, and this is what they walked away with. We'll tell you about that next. Also, I'm going to tell you why I sleep with a teddy bear as we head towards Father's Day. And we want to wish you all the dads out there and even the moms that sometimes have to be dads, like my mom. We wish you a happy Father's Day, too. We'll see you in two minutes. It's the Ron and Don Show, episode 119, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Heather and Juan Carlos did. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. So now we had to sell our old house. We had to sell it because we couldn't have been able to afford, you know, paying two mortgages. And Ron and Don had already been thinking of strategies the whole time they were strategizing. What, what, what will we do if this and what will we do if that? And so we put it on the market on Saturday. There was a lot of interest. They made an offer on the, on the offer date for over asking price, we did amazing. It was the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. And the buying process was wonderful and the selling process, it felt like we were their most important project. I I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. We all celebrated. It felt like a team victory. (laughs) We were all just jumping up and down. Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at runanddonsitdown.com. Follow us on the social media platforms. Just search for Ron Upshaw or Don O'Neill. All right, you guys, episode 119, The Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Don't forget, we're licensed brokers at Windermere, buying, selling, investing. Reach out. Let's do a sit-down. In fact, uh, we're doing a sit-down tonight at 5.30, and it's real easy. We'll just drive up to Green Lake, do our social distancing, take a look at a property, it's a cool property and try to figure out what's the best strategy to bring this to market right now during COVID-19. All right. And real estate is red hot right now, you guys. It is on fire. So reach out, reach out to us for a run and done sit down. Ron at windermere.com. Don O'Neill at windermere.com. Everything you guys is at ronanddon.com. Click on the radio microphone. There's everything about the radio show. If you want to make some comments, and you guys have been leaving some great comments lately, so thank you for that. Or if you need some help in real estate, you'll see a couple of real estate guys there. 
you can click on them too. Ron, let me ask you this. Chaz Chop, our friend Rachel, works in Terrestrial Radio. She was up there the other day. Uh, my friend Joe went up there. My friend Zach went up there. Uh, and these are all Caucasians. Uh, and my neighbor, actually Brian, went up there. And they all walked away with a very different experience and a very different opinion. I think it's very interesting when you look at our mayor. Typically, when something like this is happening in a city, riots are going on that have happened here in Seattle, also demonstrations. You come out, you put the jacket, because you are the police chief. Carmen is appointed, but you're the police chief. What you see a lot of mayors do is they put on that jacket with the police chief patches. Mayor Durkin's not doing that. She's coming out, the jacket's on, but the patches say uh, Seattle Fire Department. She's also, even, even though we know that uh, Chief Goggins, also African-American like Carmen, is the chief of the fire department. Ultimately, it's the mayor who's the chief of the fire department, and it's the chief of police. In this particular situation, there was supposedly a fire in a building last night. Someone said they called 911, and they were told by Seattle police and Seattle fire, we can't respond. Today, they're up there with barricades, and they're trying to provide a road. In fact, I saw Chief Goggins. Uh, and I used to have coffee with him every Wednesday. He's an incredible human and a great fire chief. They're making a road so his fire trucks can get through. And also, so hopefully uh, Seattle police can, can respond because they're saying it's a police-free uh, zone. Uh, chief Best came out today and said it's not a police-free zone. What are your thoughts on Chaz, on CHOP, on this place in the city that's six city blocks, and people will say, hey, if that was a bunch of right-wing guys up there where they are 15s, they would have been taken out. But because maybe this group leans more to the left, we're going to let them have a summer of love, as the mayor has said. Well, I, there's nothing I despise more than the what about whataboutism in America. This is an epidemic now. Everybody just stop with the whataboutism because it doesn't matter. Uh, let's deal with the world as it actually is instead of whatabouts. So I, I, I love to push back against that at every instance. If it was a different thing, it would be a different thing. But it's not a different thing. It's the thing that it is. And so what it is, to, to me, I find it refreshing in this regard. We've everybody's seen the movie of dissonance take something over and they get crushed by law enforcement slash National Guard slash military slash whoever we, we've seen that movie. We know how it ends. We know all the scripts. We we can like you and I could construct. We could write the news article on that. Without doing any reporting, we we know the story. Some of the details will be different, but we everybody knows that story arc by heart right now. So it takes courage, politically and just personally, with your own ego and your own sense of security, to say, "Let's try something new." It could be a colossal failure. It could be a success. We could learn nothing, or we could learn everything. We don't know. And there's a beauty to that in my mind, because you're willing to say, Hey, maybe there's something here. And if you've ever had, if you've ever had a relationship or a friendship or a business or a struggle in your life, um, that's the moment of change of going, maybe there's something here. Like I've been doing like this for me just happened recently where I was putting on uh, weight again. Uh, and I was had, I think, a mini little depression as I was going through this COVID. You look great, by the way. And so I was like, 
You know what? If I'm stopping off at Molly Moon's because I want an ice cream and I'm eating pizza and, uh, and I'm eating noodles and I'm drinking a couple of three cocktails at night because I quote unquote deserve it or I had a long day or this sucks because I can't go out and see my friends or I can't travel or I'm, I'm upset or I'm depressed or I'm bored. Uh, and what happens? Well, I'm, I'm gaining weight. And so the moment where you go, I don't want to keep doing this. I dislike getting fat more than I dislike changing my behavior. And so that there's an inflection point that happens. So we know what happens if we crack down. Do we know what happens if we don't? And so what is it about if you have this overwhelming urge to crack down on everybody? Let's examine that for a minute. What is that about? What is it about you? that you need the government of Seattle to crack down on anybody that's different or anybody that thinks differently than you do or anybody that wants to take their time and cordon off a chunk of Capitol Hill. What does that have to do with you? Why is that such an urge? That to me is the real question. If you have the overwhelming urge, crack down on these people. That's not the America that I believe in. That's not the way it should be. Pause for a second and go, why is that? Why are you reacting so violently against somebody else doing something else because you wouldn't do it? Yeah. Here's, here's, and, and I alluded to this at the top of the show, and I really didn't give much opinion. I just threw out some research that I did. You said that everybody knew about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. I didn't. I didn't know that Rosa did that for 12 years until I looked into her story about uh, three years ago because I was curious about her. And the reason I was curious about her is because she was living a life of poverty when she died in 2005 and she had dementia and the end was not awesome for Rosa Parks in a little Detroit apartment and in Michigan. And there's actually someone that came along that paid her rent for a number of years. She was this icon. And I wonder whatever happened to Rosa Parks and how did she become an icon? Because she she didn't she wasn't. She didn't mean to become an icon. She just meant to push back against this particular bus driver. And then, so that, so that sent me on this journey to find out more about her. When Martin Luther King was walking across that bridge, the reason I did it is because I saw President Obama, when he's in office, make that same walk. So then I was curious because I saw the picture of King and then I saw the picture of Obama. And I'm like, so then I started reading about that bridge and what happened on the bridge and the violence that happened but also the change that happened as a result of that. 1968, the reason I'm interested in that, that's the summer of love, is it? Is 1968 the summer of love? Because last time I checked, 1968 is when Martin Luther King was brutally shot in the head outside his hotel. That doesn't sound like the summer of love to me. And so as we look at our history, I think it's very important that we get very specific before... This movement becomes an Occupy movement for this movement because of us and them, because right now it's an us. As people go back to work and they got to get to Redmond from downtown Seattle because their son's playing soccer, are they going to be as patient as they are right now? Because there's no one in downtown Seattle. There, there's not a lot of people on Capitol Hill because everyone's been quarantined. So you have the world's attention right now. And it looks like we're going to go through a second quarantine here. You have the world's attention. What's the message. Here's why I ask. I've heard everybody say when Mr. Floyd was in that drive-thru, someone should have gave him a ride home. I talked to a cop the other day who's under a major investigation because he gave a friend a ride home. 
pulled a friend over. Friend had been drinking. He's like, you know what? I'm going to get you a ride home. Somebody told on him as a result of getting a friend a ride home, he may lose his job. Because he made sure that a friend got home. So, should Mr. Floyd been given a ride home? Now he has a taser, and you're running, and he turns around, we hear, and it looks like on a camera. Are you talking he, about George Floyd or the one that just happened in Atlanta? No, I'm talking about, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm t- excuse me. Yes, I'm talking about the one that happened in Atlanta, with the gentleman in Atlanta. Uh, so now you turn around with a taser, and you point it at an officer, and how is an officer supposed to figure out if that's a taser or if that's a real gun? How is he supposed to differentiate? Those are the kind of questions that we have to have. If you see a gentleman like we did in Atlanta, should, should, should you, because people have said you should have called an Uber. Maybe you should have. Maybe we need to change the way we look at these things, and maybe we should have called an Uber. But if you're going to call an Uber, then you can't turn around and fire that officer for letting a guy off and giving a guy a break. With a taser? You're going to begin to take tasers out of officers' hands. And now here in Seattle, the only weapon you're allowed to have during a riot is a baton. I don't know about you. I'd rather get hit with a beanbag. I've been hit by with a beanbag, a taser, and tear gas. I would rather have a beanbag and tear gas before I got hit with a baton. So these are the kinds of things when we talk about f- policing that we need to have very specific discussions on. You talk to a lot of black people, they want to have no... A lot of my friends that are black, they want to have, they do not want to be cops. If you're not willing to become a cop, then how are you going to change? You're going to change this from the outside in? I don't know that change happens that way. You can change some things from the outside in, but I think you need to change some things from the inside out. Well, here's the problem. If I'm a young black kid and I sold some cannabis, which is called now because white guys are selling it, when I was 15 in high school and now I want to sign up to be a Seattle cop, guess what? I can't be. Because I sold some dope when I was 15 in high school. Are we going to allow this young man, who may be African-American, may be Asian, may be a woman, are we going to allow them to be a part of policing and work from the inside out rather than the outside in? And then what happens if he sees someone in a drive-thru that needs an Uber and makes a call? Cameras on, cameras off. And I'll finish with this. Mayor Murray, who you call Mayor Dumpster Fire. During riots, cameras off. You turn those cameras off. You are not allowed to walk around in the chaz, the chop, whatever you want to call it, with the cameras. Cameras have to be off. Because what you're going to do is you're going to use that footage and you're going to start arresting people at these protests. And we're not going to allow that. Now you have people, why aren't the cameras on? These cameras need to be on all the time. We need to see exactly what these cops are doing. Turn the cameras on. Cameras on, cameras off. Call Uber, don't call Uber. Allow a young African-American who sold some dope when he was 15. You call it dope because he's black. But now that white guys are selling it, it's cannabis. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. You've been thinking about selling your home, but what's it really worth? And how much will you put in your pocket? It all starts with a sit-down. Schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, episode 119 of the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, we are licensed brokers with Windermere. And today we are live 
from the Les Schwab Studios. He's Ron. I'm Don. Thanks for stopping by, you guys. You can always find us on Facebook. And if you're ready for a sit-down, just write Ron. Ron at Windermere.com. Uh, Father's Day weekend is upon us. You have an awesome dad, and you know a lot of great dads. Uh, anyone you want to wish a uh, happy Father's Day to? Of course, my dad. And uh, I met my birth father for the first time it'd be a year ago, December, so happy Father's Day to him. Wow. And then my, my big brother, of course, is a great dad. And my brother-in-law is a great dad. So yes. like all he's Russ is great. My brother Bob is great. All the Bobs, uh, happy Father's Day. Yeah, happy Father's Day to them. Uh, I wrote something. Just We're going to close out the show with this, and this is for all the dads out there. And uh, I hope by the time this plays, we're saying congratulations to our friend Nolan, who is having his first child, who is due two days ago. And uh, and I think the baby might be here. So, Oh, congratulations. Hopefully uh, Mia is in the world. So I'm sure his, uh, his wife is probably hoping more than he is. Morgan? He, yeah, oh, he's yeah. Guy, you got it. Get out! Get out! Out! <laughs> That's right. So... Uh, hey, you guys, this is what I wrote this week when I was thinking about uh, Father's Day. This is up on my Facebook page. Don O'Neill, if you want to see it. It says, uh, when my son was born about a decade ago, uh, my friend Tina Knoll, who actually used to be our producer for the Ron and Don show, uh, she stopped by my house and she dropped off a teddy bear. In fact, before she left, she handed my son, who was an infant at the time, uh, something that he has held on to for the last 10 years. It's a teddy bear, and we fondly call him uh, Oso. Now, Oso has been through a lot with us, from Aunt Colleen's early death, that's my sister, uh, to my son's grandfather passing away last year. Oso is there. Also, he's always been there for the scary nights. You know that when you begin to discover that you're afraid of the dark, and also those tough days when you've been bullied and tormented at school. Uh, Oso has always shown up. Night in, night out, he's been a best friend, a good listener. And he's always up for a good 12-hour sleep. Now, when Charlie, my son's dog, arrived, I thought, uh-oh, Oso is going to head to the memory chest. In fact, I remember one time when Charlie grabbed him and started to tear him apart, my son got very upset and said, no, 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 Charlie. In fact, at night, my son sleeps in the middle, Charlie's on one side, and uh, Oso's on the other. So it's quite a crew I have over at my house. Uh, my son left this week. And he's gone for a portion of the summer. And before he left, he did something pretty extraordinary. He left a picture of himself. It was he and I at a movie theater in one of those picture boxes. And I haven't seen that picture in a long, long time. And it just appeared somewhere where he knew that I would found, find it. And then also before I left, we both got a little teary-eyed. And he asked me to do two things. One, to take care of Charlie. And number two, to take good care of his teddy bear, Oso. And I thought to myself, uh, what an honor. So I don't know about you guys. I don't know what it's like to say goodbye to a son or daughter as they go off to school or as they go off to war. What about spending a hundred different nights at children's hospital like my friend Daryl did, watching his child suffer from leukemia, uh, and it would be years later uh, that she would beat it, right? Yeah, I don't know how parents do that. I have someone in my family that lost a baby. The room was ready. The clothes were picked out. And then we woke up one day and we found out that we had lost my niece, right? What is that like to be a parent? What is it like to be a dad? I have such great respect and admiration for all of you that have faced some of the great challenges of loving and sometimes losing 
uh, little humans. Last night as I went to bed, I made sure that Charlie was in his spot, and then I reached for my son's bear. I felt foolish, you guys, but then I pulled Oso close to me, and I could smell my son, and the tears filled my eyes. And here I was, a 53-year-old man clutching a teddy bear and crying like a child. But honestly, it kind of felt good. As musician Keith Urban said, as he went through recovery a number of years ago, he said, you know what? Every day, I like to have me a good cry. I never cried growing up. It wasn't allowed in my house. And now almost daily, sometimes out of sadness, but most of the time out of joy, I cry. When I woke up this morning, uh, I was still clutching that bear. (laughs) And as I made the bed, I made sure to give Oso the best seat in the house high above all the other pillows right in the center of the headboard. And as I said goodbye to him, I made a promise to myself. It's a promise I make to myself and to my family every morning. Today is a day that I will show up just like Oso. Today's a day that I will show up for myself so I can show up for others. Today's a day that I will not drink. Today's a day I will be fully engaged with every human that crosses my path, or at least I'll try. Today's a day I will find a way to help someone else on this journey called life. Today's a day I will run to my lighthouse. Today is a day that I will call my mom. Today's a day I will take good care of myself so I can take care of others. And today's a day that will be full of laughter. Today's a day that I'll take care of my son and his dog. And today's a day that I will take care of a teddy bear by the name of Oso. So one day soon, hopefully I'll be able to return him safely to his rightful owner. If Charlie doesn't tear him up, but anyways, Bubba, that's what I call my son. Thanks for choosing me for something that means so much to you. I'm the luckiest man alive to have all three of you in my life and to call you my family. I will not let you down. Catch a lot of fish, skip a lot of rocks, build a lot of forts, and be sure to skin up those knees and eat lots and lots and lots of ice cream with your cousins. Love your daddy, Charlie and Oso. We will see you soon. And for all the dads and all the daddies and even the moms, like my mom, that were dads too, we celebrate you on this day. We celebrate you this week. We celebrate you. And we say happy Father's Day from all of us here at the Ron and Don Show. Keep your head. Keep your shoulders back. Let's keep talking. Let's keep listening. And we'll see you next time for episode 120 only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, it's G-Force O'Neill, brains of this operation, and the voice of the Ron and Don Show. Well, that's it. Show's over. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. (laughs) 